Welcome to Pathway to Faith with Bishop Steve Howe. Turn your expectations high as you receive the word from our man of God. Prepare yourself to hear a life-changing message. Let's tune in now. I want to minister for just a brief moment. The title of my message this morning is called The Need of the Hour. The Need of the Hour. You, you may be seated in the presence of Almighty God. If you have not already availed yourself to the message Wednesday, I want to certainly encourage you that you, you must hear the message Wednesday. Uh, the title of the message, the teaching Wednesday, was called Blindsided. Blindsided. And if you live long enough, you can run the risk of being blindsided in life. Are, are you all listening to me? And I believe that message will help you uh, immensely. Uh, and you need to listen to it with not just a casual ear, but listen to the message with the intent to do, to apply the principles. Where, where today, where today is the hunger for spiritual things? I'm going to say some things. I certainly respect all of you who are here. I believe we have a pastor here uh, from Texas. I certainly honor you. I really honor you because pastoring is no joke. So I honor you, Pastor. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to your heart. The need of the hour. There's a lot going on in the world today. I also want to thank God for all of our men and women in this church who are trained, equipped, know what they're doing, and keeping us safe. Amen. They're always here. You may be sitting behind somebody, in front of somebody. We, we don't expose them, but they're in here, and they keep us safe. Yes, indeed. Some are visible, but there are a lot of them that are invisible in this house. The only person who knows who they are are myself and a couple of other people. But they're trained, and they, they, they know what to do um, to protect you. Notice I said you, because I got myself covered. Mm -hmm. I didn't forget everything I learned in the military. So if they can just take care of everything from the podium, from the platform to the back door, we, everything's good. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. But we thank God for these special people in our church who, uh, who keep us safe, know how to look for things and discern things and keep us safe so that craziness stays out of this house. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God a great big God bless you. Go ahead, if you would, video department, for the sake of time. Ooh, Jesus. Ooh, God. Today, I feel like preaching. Y'all better, better back up off of me. Come on now. Ooh, Jesus. Yeah, man. I'm going to try to hold it down. Like Shirley Caesar said, hold my mule. But amen, we'll just see. But go ahead and put up, uh, put up my first nugget, please. Nugget number one. Ready? Let's read together. The wheat is growing. Let's read it again. Stop right there. The wheat's growing. The wheat is growing. God is going to have himself a harvest. I don't care how bad everything looks. In the midst of all of the craziness, there is a harvest that belongs to God. And the devil can't take it from him. The gates of hell shall not prevail against God's harvest. Now, I'm going to say some things a little later. I know some folks may be a little upset, but I won't take it back. 
And before I do, I'll add more to it. But the wheat is growing. Let me say this again. There's a harvest that is maturing right now. And the tares are growing too. It's getting quiet. Because the wheat and the tare are growing together. They both go to church. And they both say hallelujah. And they both say, talk to me harvester. Thank you Jesus. And they all look like they're on their way to heaven and glad about it. The harvest look like it's going to heaven. And the terror, the wheat look like it's going to heaven. And the terror does too. As a matter of fact, look up and down your road. Or look wherever you can look. See the people? You can't tell the difference. Come on, let's try it again. Look around, look around. Look for holiness. Look, look for wheat. Come on, look around. Look for wheat. Did you, did you discern the terror? No, because it all looks the same. Everybody on your row looks holy. Everybody on your row act like they're excited about God. And that they've been living for him all this past week. And they gathered in this house just to solidify what they've been doing all week. Come on, look on your row again. They were, they're not trying to fake you out. They were reading their Bible yesterday. The, the person you were looking at, they were praying on Tuesday. The people in your row, they were soul winning on Thursday and led somebody to Jesus Friday. And the people in your row, they pray in the Holy Ghost every day because they're excited about God. Because that's what we does. Wheat spends time with God, not at the direction of the pastor, but because they love him. And they love him more than any earthly material thing. The wheat does. But when we come to church, you can't tell us from the terror. Because in this monitored environment, we all act the same. We sing the song not because we love Jesus, but because we don't want to stand out. We sing songs and it has no meaning at all to us. In some cases, we come to church because it's a habit. But, 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 but pastor, don't preach sermons to try to separate the wheat from the tear. Come on, pastor, how, don't do that. Be, because in your efforts to try to separate the wheat from the tear in your church, you run the risk of hurting real wheat. Not only that, Jesus did not give the under shepherd that assignment. Jesus said, let the wheat and the tare, let them go to church together. Let them sing side by side. Let them dance and shout together as though they're on the same page. And when I come, Jesus, I don't know about you, but I can't wait till he come till I know that I know that I belong to him. 
Oh, Jesus. Go, go to Proverbs chapter uh, 29. I'm a Baptist boy, so I'm going to say uh, I'm almost done. Now, you know that's not true, but it sounds good. Isn't it amazing how much patience and uh, how much excitement and energy uh, we have for things other than God? I mean, I love it when I watch a ball game and they go into overtime. I love it. But let the preacher go into overtime. <laughs> so I better wrap this thing up now, the first quarter. Are you in Proverbs 29? Look at verse number 18. Are you there? The need of the hour. The wheat is growing and the tares are too. Look at verse number 18. Where there is no vision or revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. I'm talking to the members of Harvest Church now and even to our E-Church members. Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, the people lose sight of what really matters to God. And you can be a Christian and not know what really matters to God. When you don't know what matters to God, the only thing that's important to you is what matters to you. You become selfish, self-centered, over-engrossed in what you want and when you want it and how you want it. And that attitude will destroy a marriage and a family. You can't get into marriage being selfish. It's the most giving institution that you'll ever be a part of. You can't get into marriage for you. You have to get into marriage with the understanding that I want to help somebody. Because there will be times in the marriage institution where you will feel like you're giving more than you're getting. I can't get no help on this side. My wife is in New Orleans. But in marriage, there are many occasions where you will feel like you're giving more than you're getting. And if you don't handle it correctly, you'll get an attitude which will compound your problem. And if you don't check it over a period of time, you'll start looking over the fence. Man, I still can't get no help on this side. Are you listening to me? Because you think it is all about you. Where there is no vision, revelation, the people perish. And that's what has happened to what, hear me carefully now, to the organized church during this pandemic. Ooh, can I go ahead now? The organized church is not Jesus' bride. Now I know I'm going to get some calls and some letters now. It's all right. Hear me out. The organized church is not Jesus' bride. Jesus' bride is not Baptist. Jesus' bride is not Methodist or Presbyterian or Church of God in Christ or Church of God. Or the United Methodist or the AME. That is not Jesus' bride. Or the non-denominational. 
or interdenominational. That is not Jesus's bride. That's organized man's religion. If that was Jesus's bride, we would get along. But you show me a Baptist assembly or Methodist assembly or a word of faith assembly or Presbyterian, Presbyterian assembly and, I, and, I'll, and I'll point to it. I can't point them out, but I can tell you there's some people that are in there that is his bride. You show me a church that God has ordained and I'll show you a place where there's some people in there that is part of his bride. Who God, come on, stay with me. Uh, can I use you all as an example? Y'all won't get mad. Okay, because sometimes people get mad. Stand up. Y'all married? Y'all sitting awful close. Y'all married? Okay, y'all sitting too close if you're not married. Okay. Uh, uh, did you ask her to marry you? Yes, sir. You did? And what did you say? You said yes? Okay. You, you step a little closer. I'm going to build a wedge. Okay, that's good. Uh, what would you have done, sir, if she'd have told you no? Pursued her more. You'd have pursued her more? Okay. He's messing up my message. <laughs> I'm going to get out of it. Keep praying for me, prophetess. You'd have pursued her more. Okay. Wonder if she would have told you yes, but her actions said no. You'd have to hit your knees. Well, you want me to take a hammer and hit them for you? What's the deal? Are you messing up my... <laughs> uh, let me get somebody else who's more anointed. <laughs> but, but good. The point is, why would you want to marry a woman that don't want to be with you? And if she want to be with you, wouldn't she act like it? What would you think that every time you call her, you know, she's got a, you know, she got those new phones where she, you can see, you know, back in the day. <laughs> you'd have your kids answer the phone, ask who is it? But, you know, today, and then some of you slick, you got blockers. Where, where you're, when, you're, when your phone, when, when you call somebody, it shows up unknown. But, but he calls you, you see that it's him, and you don't answer. And you know she can see, this is Marvin calling. But she never answers. And then she tells you, I'm sorry I can't answer the phone right now, but if you'll leave your name and number, I'll what? I'll call you back at my earliest convenience. And then a day passed, she doesn't call. And two days pass, and she doesn't call. And a week pass, and you don't get on your knees and talk to God. And a three weeks pass, and you never engage in prayer talking to God. And a month pass, and you never get any real serious devotional with God. And you look around, and two months have passed, and you discover the only time there's a reach out is you reaching out to her, she never reaches back to you. Would you marry her then? Thank you so very, very much. You finally got in line. So why would God marry you? But let the wheat and let the tear, let it grow together. But when I come, Jesus said, he said, I'll do the separating. The people perish for the lack of vision, the lack of revelation.
And I stand here today as the pastor of this church and I want you to know that I am not satisfied. With these empty pews. And if God gave them to us, he gave them to us for a reason. Because when we first got these pews, you weren't even here to sit in them. But we got these pews because God had you in mind. And I don't believe that all God had in mind is just you. If God didn't have somebody else in mind for these pews, then we wasted God's money. You don't need a house with 50 chairs and only 10 guests are coming. Preach, boy, preach. I said, you don't need 50 chairs in the backyard for a family gathering if only 10 family members are coming. And Jesus said, my house shall be full. I'm going to share something with you in a moment that I pray will open your eyes to see. Because a lot of the lack of movement in the church is not the people in the pews' fault. It's the preachers. We've made the pews thorough. And if they listen to us long enough, we embalm them. And over a period of time, they do nothing. Because they don't even know they're supposed to do. And the organized church has presented to us a false impression that serving God is coming to church. That you're only serving God when you're in here. We're not in here enough for that to be right. And when somebody says, you're always up to the church, they're usually just talking about Sunday and Wednesdays. They never said you're always at the club. And you were at the club more hours than you were in church. Are you all listening to me? But, but the organized church has made us thorough. We are literally... Sitting here as Christians waiting on sinners to come. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I remember I was here last Sunday. The, the message last Sunday about waiting. Well, you've been waiting a week. This is another Sunday. So we the church, when I say we the church, I'm not talking about this building. The first church didn't have a building. They met in the home. This is a result of organization. Because you don't like people in your house. Particularly if you don't know them. Oh, Jesus. So for the sake of doing something for the kingdom, we have to meet in a neutral place. Oh, Jesus. And if you don't mind the church coming over your house, your spouse don't want them over there. Yeah. And, and married folks, you know, have a way of communicating without saying anything. C come on down. 
If you've been married for a while, your wife can walk through the room and you know that's a different wall. That, that means it's time for you to turn off the television, the ball game, and do something else. And if she walks through and you, and you act like you didn't see her, she'll come through again and she'll rattle something. You know, she'll rattle a pot, you know, open the blinds or close them. And then if you ignore her the second time, the third time she comes through, she'll say, honey, you got a minute? Now, I know you and your homeboys, your road dogs are tight, but when is he going home? He's eaten three hamburgers. He done drunk up all the pop. And he, and he belches, and you know I don't like that. On top of that, he's up in the house. He don't even have his mask on. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Mm-hmm. Nugget number two. Nugget number two. Read. Evangelize. Come on. You're either evangelizing or you're fossilizing. And some people are so hard, you're like a rock. Something, listen to me, something happens to us as confessing Christians. When too much time expires and we haven't told anybody about Jesus. Something begins to harden, to deteriorate on the inside of us. And if we continue on that path, we look up one day and we're walking by hurting humanity and we don't even see them with the eyes of compassion. They're repulsive. don't make no sense nobody living like that they're repulsive to you because you have failed to realize the only difference between you and them is the hand of grace and the mercies of God that are on your life ain't nothing different between you and I and a person under a bridge some of them have more education than us combined Some of them are under a bridge because they had a mental failure. And if it had not been for the grace of God, you would have had a whole lot of mental failures. Some of the stuff you've been through, you should have had a nervous breakdown twice. But God kept you. And then you got the nerve to walk up in the house of God. And God has been good to you like that. And not open up your mouth and give him praise. How can your children be grateful when they got ungrateful parents? Quit looking at somebody else's big house and fall on your face in your little house and thank God for that house. So you evangelize Harvest Church. You evangelize Harvest Church or you fossilize. And when this ministry loses its fervor and its commitment to win people to Christ, you can hang Inkabob not on this physical building, but on your heart. Because you want more stuff than you want to see people added into the kingdom. Nugget number three. The need of the hour. Nugget number three. Ready? Read. The organized church is not his church. It's not hard to see all the pomp and circumstance they have, all of the ceremonial. That's not God. 
All these different gyrations they go through, trying to act like they're holy. Jesus rode in on a donkey. I don't have time to break it down historically of where all this mess came from through organized church. They just put up a sign and said, I got 10 minutes. I'm going to act like Ray Charles for a few seconds. Nugget number five. Nugget number five. No, no, number four. Nugget number four. I'm sorry. His church is composed of true believers. And hold on. Listen to me. True believers are in every church. And, and there are some, hear me now, there are some true believers in here. Now, it's not everybody. But there are some true believers in this church. I mean, they really mean heaven. I mean, after I give the benediction and they go out into the parking lot, they don't change into something else. There are some true wheat in this church. And they agitate the terrors. Because the terrors will have an attitude, it don't take all that. Number five, and I close with this. Nugget number five. Nugget number five. Let us, come on. That's why you have the situation in, in Buffalo, New York. A few days later, you have this, this unthinkable mess down in, in Texas where, where somebody is so deranged that they killed 19 children and two teachers. No, the devil shot these kids up, many of them, so bad, they wouldn't even let their parents go in and, and claim them. One police officer told one family, said, don't go in. He said, I, I just can't allow you to go in and see your baby. It, it'll be too much for you to handle, sir. To think somebody would shoot up a child to such a degree that they're unrecognizable by their parents. And I'll say what I said the other day is that we're in trouble because the president, the Congress, and the Senate, they think they have the answer, and they don't. You can change the laws, and it'll do some good. I agree you ought to change it from at least 18 to 21. Why would you allow a young boy, you remember when you were 18, how stupid we were? But at least when I had a gun, I was in the military and I was trained at 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and sent off to war in Vietnam. But a young boy, 18 years old, who's not old enough to buy liquor can go to the store and buy an AR-15. Come on now. And what kind of gun shop owner are you to see a kid come into your store and buy an AR-15, you look at his, 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 uh, his information, he just turned 18, and then he purchased over 300 rounds of ammunition. And then a few days later, he come back and buy another one. America is close to, not quite, 3%. What, what percent? We're just 3% of the world population. That's all. We're not even 10%.
As a matter of fact, in India, they have a middle class. Middle class that is larger than the United States of America. A middle class. You getting the picture? And so they can pass all the laws they want because they're failing to acknowledge the real culprit behind this madness. The real culprit behind this madness is not the NRA. Though it needs to be dealt with. But the real issue is not the NRA, it's not the Congress, it's not the Senate, and it's not the President of the United States of America. And we're not going to fix it until we realize that God knew what he was talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Behind that 18-year-old boy in Texas was a demon. And you won't be able to legislate it out. And you won't be able, according to the Bible, to vote it out. If somebody got a devil, you have to cast it out. And so until the church rises up and really be the church, this craziness is going to continue. Because it's difficult to cast the devil out of somebody when you got one yourself. Let the wheat and the tear, let it grow together. Now, I run the risk every time I preach. Because when you preach, you run the risk of some folks getting happy. You also run the risk, point man, of somebody getting mad. But if you're happy, I'm excited about it. That means God is still dealing with you. And if you're mad at what I'm preaching, I rejoice over it because that means God is still dealing with you. Let let, let me close. I know my two minutes. Let me close. This ministry was founded on this, Luke 10, 2. I have to do this part. Look, look at Luke 10 too. If you've been to the members class, you got an overdose of Luke 10 too. Are you in Luke 10 too? You got to see this. Is it uh, warm in here or is it just me? Somebody said, preach. It don't make no difference. Look, look at Luke 10. Yeah. Sister girl back and said, I don't care about no heat, nothing. <laughs> what you preaching this morning make me think about hot hell, and I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to get this thing right. Amen. Ain't no tear here. I got, hey man, I'm wheat. I'm wheat in the morning. I'm wheat in the afternoon. I'm wheat when the sun go down. I'm wheat all day long. I belong to Jesus. Are you in Luke chapter 10? Come on, quickly now. Quickly, look at verse number two. Now, now, most of the time, we just look at Luke 10, 2. But for the sake of time, in your study time, back up to verse number one. Because the Bible says that Jesus appointed 70 disciples to go out. And he sent them out two by two. And they went into cities that he had already predestined that he was going to go. So they were the forerunner, like John the Baptist. Come on now. While you're just stuck on the 12, Jesus appointed 70 more. Can I preach this thing? And he just didn't stop at 70. There's some of them up in here right now that have been appointed by God. No, they don't have credentials from man, but they got credentials from God. Yeah. 
Look at this in Luke 10 2. Then he said to them, I'm going to slow down so you can see this, so you can get the revelation, because we've been saying this wrong, because we've discerned this verse of scripture wrong. Then he said to them, who said? He said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Come on. L listen to it in the, in the living Bible translation. These were his instructions to them at Harvest Church. Plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers to help you for the harvest. For the harvest is so plentiful and the workers so few. Jesus. Now notice, there's a vast difference between sowing seed and harvesting a crop. I'll say it again. There's a vast difference, Harvest Church, in sowing a seed and harvesting a crop. Jesus. Because we didn't have revelation on this for years, we thought as members of Harvest Church that we were reapers. Ooh, Jesus. Do I need something? Why do I need it? They can't hear me? They, oh, they can? Oh, you just want to be on the camera. <laughs> For years, we thought we were reapers. Harvest church. And we go out and reap souls. Read the text and keep it in context. We're not reapers of souls. We're sowers of the word. Jesus. The harvest, Jesus is coming to get. We're to go out and tell people about Jesus. We're to be sowing the word. If we would just get excited enough about God, like we do a sale at our favorite store. I have a guy that when things go, you know, so low that he, he'll, he'll send me a text. Pastor Howe, it's so low. Then I'll text back. Is there anything there you think I would be interested in? And he'll text me back. I think so. Now, I know sometimes he don't really think so. He just want to get me in there. Because he know, by and large, I'm not leaving empty-handed. But you're not a reaper of the harvest. Look at the 70. Keep it in context. You got to also remember now when you look at Luke, Luke 10 too, this is on the other side of the cross. Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't been buried yet. He hadn't risen from the grave yet when he said this. We're not the reapers ministered, Troy Jones. We're the sowers. We should be sowing the word everywhere we go telling somebody about Jesus. Somebody said, well, I don't know the Bible like you. You don't have to. You don't have to know where Genesis is. You don't have to know where Revelation is. But in the middle of Genesis and Revelation is your testimony. If you don't do anything else, act like the blind man when they were trying to discredit Jesus. He's a false prophet. He's not this and he's not that. And the blind man said, I don't know who he is or what he is, but I do know this. I was blind. Come on, church. But now I can see. And you were blind. And I was blind. But Jesus 
opened our eyes. And now that we can see, the Bible says we are the light of the world. And as people of God, we must go. We must go. We must go. We must go and tell people about Jesus. And I'm done. Give God praise and give him glory. The need of the hour. The need of the hour. The need of the hour. The need of the hour to stop this madness in our nation. The, me the need of the hour is not more laws. The need of the hour is for the saints of the living God to rise up and start spreading the word. Start shining the light because people who are really saved don't kill people. And so you have a choice today. You're going to walk out of these doors and become more hardened and indifferent and walk by hurting humanity and get to a place where you don't even see them anymore. I'm stuck on this. Because if Harvest Church don't anchor herself in this, we, we lose our position. We lose our significance, Sister Henderson. We have to love what Jesus loves. And there are three groups of people that Jesus loves. Read your Bible. Look what Jesus' brother said in the book of James. In Harvest Church, we have to love and care for those three elements that Jesus loves and cares for. Jesus loves the orphan. Jesus, one translation said, he loves the fatherless. That's what we need, Brother Blanks, in our society. We need fathers. We need to break away from this world system that is making sissies out of men. Never seen so many soft men in all my life. You almost can't even watch a commercial with some of the most weak-watered men. And women running around acting and talking and looking like they're men. I don't want to mess with nobody, but you putting on pants don't make you no man. And you putting something across your chest and tightening everything up. That don't, that don't change you. And men running around with fingernails, that don't, that don't change you. And it's the, it's the efforts of the devil to try to, rake, to make real men obsolete. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can go so long and not really encounter a real man that when you encounter a real man, it can be intimidating. Because he's strong. And Satan is endeavoring to make him weak. And some of you women, you're not satisfied until you find a man that you can boss around. I had to come back up here for safety. You laugh, but it's the truth. I mean, you're the boss. Boy, y'all got quiet. I mean, you're looking for a man you can boss around. I don't, I don't want him. Who, who, who you think he is? The man. The way God made him. You see, hey, but two men clapping, and six of them are scared to clap. And but you, but you have to say amen. You hear me, Deke? You're hard-pressed today to find a real man in church. 
Because a real man in church, he doesn't delegate all the praying to his wife. My wife does not raise my children. I raise my children. My wife helped me to raise them. I know some of you looking at me. I, I see it. <laughs> marrying you. I know. But a real man takes care of his family. Ask my wife, when's the last time she put gas in her car? Ask her how many times she's driven home and get home and come in the house and tell me, honey, I need gas. I didn't look at her like, well, why didn't you stop at the filling station? You passed 10 of them. Come on now, if you're going to be on that other side, let's go all the way. Okay, I'm, I'm done. Y'all, somebody's pulling me. But you evangelize or you fossilize. It happens individually and it happens corporately. And everybody on your road, look at it. Everybody on your role is developing into one of the two. They're becoming either more fossilized, everybody on your role, or they're becoming more evangelized. And there's no in-between. Everybody on your role, they're either pressing toward God or they're doing their own thing. Everybody on your roll. When I give them a benediction and we all walk out of these doors, everybody in this room is going to go on a certain path. Some are going to walk out of here and go right back to doing whatever they want to do. Some will cuss. Some will get high. Some won't pick up their Bible, won't hear nothing about God until next Sunday. Some won't sing another song that give him praise and give him glory until the praise team is on the platform again next Sunday. That'll be their next Christian song. Next Sunday. But Jesus said, Pastor, stay in your lane. You take care of your business and leave my business to me. Yes, sir. Wow. What an amazing message. Thank you for listening to our Pathway to Faith broadcast. If you're ever in the Kansas City metro area, join Bishop and Dr. Howe at Harvest Church International Outreach, 4300 North Corrington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, 64117. Or catch our services live online at www.harvestchurchkc.org. Be blessed.